I received a phone call from the Clinton administration. They were going through a presidential campaign at the time, and they were worried about email security causing a problem and causing them to potentially lose the election. So it was the Bill Clinton administration, and they were worried that the two buildings down at DNC campaign headquarters might be tapped. So I went down, and when I got there, it was kind of chaotic, meaning the building was open. I could walk into the conference room where I was meeting without showing any credentials. And I actually found some equipment, including a router, which I could have turned off and back on, and then interrupted the reboot sequence and owned the entire network. Now, we designed for them a whole secure network, which we were calling ElectorNet. And had they listened, I suspect we would have a different president right now. So there are serious consequences. The lesson is that if you make bad decisions in this area, they will not only come back to haunt you, but they can have severe consequences and things that I think most uh, Americans and most people around the globe underestimate significantly. When it comes to security, we are living in interesting times. We're seeing nation states play roles we've never seen before, or, or at least been privy to. We're reading about more and more ransomware attacks, breaches of almost unimaginable magnitude. We're also seeing C-level execs lose their jobs due to cybersecurity issues. Oh, and can we talk about Yahoo for a minute? Marissa Mai helped that company lose $100 billion of its valuation, in large part as a result of a massive data breach and security concerns about the company. Do issues like these matter to you? If you're an entrepreneur or work at a startup or a growth stage company, they certainly should. On today's episode, I'm talking with Ed Amoroso, the former chief security officer at AT&T. We're going to have a wide ranging and fascinating discussion about security in the digital age and what it means to be a security first business. I'm John Pryle, and welcome to the Impact Podcast. We are very pleased to have a true leader in the field of cybersecurity with us today. I'm talking about Ed Amoroso, the former chief security officer of AT&T. Ed has seen a lot over his 30 plus year career, spending a lot of his time at Bell Labs, one of the foremost technical research facilities in the world. In addition to being a professor at Stevens Institute of Technology and NYU, Ed is the founder of a cyber tech advisory company called Tag Cyber. So Ed, thanks for being here today. One of the things I just recently read about was the paperclip hack for Airbnb users. So you show up at someone's apartment, they give you their SSID and the password for their router, so you know what it is, and then you can go take a paperclip and hit the reset button on their router, do everything you want, own it, and then change it again. It, it, out of the attack surfaces, it becomes a bit mind-boggling to me. Yes, no question. I mean, where, where there's technology, there will be ways to break it. And one of the problems that we have in businesses today is that we've created an architecture that takes the kind of problem you just described and, and exacerbates the problem by, by creating scale. Here's what I mean by that. If you and I were running a, a company and we decided we were going to put the entire company behind a firewall, and you'd call that a perimeter, like bet anybody listening to this who knows anything about security or has just had a company or worked in a company knows what it means for the business to be quote unquote inside the firewall. Well, if you set yourself up that way, then your, your business view is that things inside the firewall are trusted 
and things outside the firewall are not trusted. That's the natural conclusion of building a perimeter. So what happens is things inside the perimeter tend to trust each other. And that's the kind of architecture 100% of businesses have now. So if you have a paperclip attack or any type of attack on infrastructure and it breaks something inside your firewall, then not only do they break that one thing, but they can cascade the attack to your entire company. So that has to change. That's the number one initiative globally that businesses that operate in a large perimeter protected enterprise have to scatter, disperse, distribute, virtualize their infrastructure into a lot of different pieces. And you would refer to those pieces as cloud workloads. So that's, that, that's how um, things are moving. Well, let's stay on cloud, for example, a little bit more. So obviously the large cloud providers, whether it's Google, IBM, even Salesforce now are quite acquisitive in terms of picking up pieces of security technology. So what's your view of what their focus is on? And then we'll, then we'll take a shift over a little bit and we'll talk a bit, a bit about enterprises. Well, you can differentiate cloud into three different categories. So there's the public cloud infrastructure offers like Amazon and others where you and I would take advantage of things they've set up to, to create applications, to run virtual machines and so on. And that's even broken down into all these different as a service uh, designations. But you know, Amazon is probably the one that's been the most successful in selling cloud that you and I and others would use for our own purposes. Second is, would be private cloud. That means um, virtualized infrastructure, virtual data centers that you run privately. A large bank might not want to use Amazon, so they build something very similar in terms of the look and feel and the underlying compute infrastructure. They use a special operating system called a hypervisor that sits between the hardware and the software, and they sit that in their enterprise. So that'd be a private version of Amazon that a lot of consumers and citizens don't know about. Mm -hmm. you know, they think, gosh, does my bank use Amazon cloud service? And what they would be very interested to find out is probably not, but they use the same technology that they build and try to operate and manage themselves. So that's a second category. And then the third you alluded to a minute ago, those are providers of something, whether it be database from Oracle, or you mentioned Salesforce or whomever, where they've moved their operation into the cloud so that you and I can just hit their services with our mobiles and PCs as readily from Starbucks, as from our home, as from our desk at work. So that, that idea of ubiquity of service is something that is taking over the industry. Now, whether all of these different groups are attending to cybersecurity properly, I think, you know, based on my background and what I do, you, you would guess that I would say not enough and you would be guessing correctly. Um, happy to go into more detail, but I think the short answer there is that there is quite a bit to be done. And they have, they have to take it differently. So I'm thinking about maybe the, the cloud services. I mean, do, you, do, do we trust a Google or an AWS more that they've done the, the breaking into piece parts that you mentioned earlier and that they're not one giant cookie, car, cookie jar inside a perimeter? Do you think they're doing a better job today protecting what's going on inside or they don't have enough knowledge as to what they're protecting to make it a little harder for them? They certainly do a better job than the middle and lower markets. Just the, 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 the math of it you know, just doesn't work out for smaller companies. You can't afford to hire a security team, right? I mean, if you, you and I start a small company, are we hiring 10 cybersecurity analytics experts to hunt? No, especially if we're in the, some other business. We're selling shoes online 
Um, we have 20 people in the company where we have 200 people in the company. Are we hiring a cybersecurity team? No, of course we are not. That would be crazy. So pushing those kinds of businesses into a cloud where you do have a cybersecurity team around Amazon or Google or, you know, any of the different services that have been successful, IBM, Microsoft, you know, they're, they're, they're also very uh, um, acceptable providers. It uh, makes perfect sense in the middle market. Now, upper market, hard to say. And here's, here's why that's a tricky question to answer. The reality, if you ask any cybersecurity expert today, is that certainly the, the, the more capable nation state actors and increasingly just about everyone can get into your enterprise if they're determined enough. Mm-hmm. That is a tough nut to swallow. If you, if you really sit and ponder that for a minute, you think, huh, what you're telling me is that the security tools that I'm putting in place are somewhat of a, a sham or a facade. And the answer is yes. And in fact, in society, it's like that. Mm-hmm. Like, think about how interesting it is that any locksmith can pretty much get through any lock. The skill to do that is generally well known. Sure. And you could have really evil people who know how to create and get through a lock. Evil plus locksmith means, why do you bother locking your door at night? So the reason we do is because it gives us some semblance of, of ability to relax as we go to bed, and it cuts out certain threats. A wandering bum carrying a beer, you know, going to the wrong house, coming to your door, sees it locked, can't get in. A, a bumbling burglar, you know, going house to house looking for money, comes, sees the door locked, goes to somebody else, says, I'll look for something that's just flat out easier. The problem with cybersecurity is that we make it so easy to rattle the doorknobs of hundreds, thousands, or everybody's, you know, gateway that when you have elite hackers who can get into pretty much anything they want, it, one really takes pause and gets very philosophical about the whole thing. And my answer to this has been that it should be considered perfectly acceptable to use cloud providers because they're equally susceptible to these things as you are in your enterprise. That's a, that, that's a tough nut, but I'll tell you, if you asked 100 cybersecurity experts whether they agree with that, um, depending on whether their boss is next to them, um, if, if, you, if you ask them to be truly honest, they would agree with that. So it's, so, tough. it's a tough story. So one of the principles that we talk about in, in, in our security first principles has to be, do with the fact that you will be hacked or you're likely to be hacked or, you, or assume you're going right. to be hacked and be prepared with both a communication plan and a remediation plan. What's your sense of the readiness right. of the industry to, to handle when these attacks happen? Well, what you're describing is risk management. Mm-hmm. It's trying to minimize the, the likelihood that something will happen, so it'll never be zero, to your point. And then also to minimize the consequences of something happening. So the, the correct way to do this is, let's say you had a big warehouse and you keep all your jewelry there, and that's the way your business is set up. And you say, gosh, if somebody breaks into this door, breaks into this warehouse, they have all my jewelry. Now, in a deliberate physical sense, it's hard to do much about that. That's how a warehouse operates. But in computing, we have virtualization, which means 
that we can string together distributed separate workloads into something that looks like it's all together. So what I've been preaching and what I think companies should be doing to minimize the kind of problems you're asking about is break up and scatter the warehouse into a lot of little warehouses. I know that, that I'm, I'm driving that metaphor and there may be some people cringing at the metaphor, but I think it plays that when you break the thing up, you break up the target, it becomes remarkably difficult to drive a truck bomb into a building if the building doesn't exist. The truck bomber stops, slams on the brakes, calls back and says, boss, there's no building here. They dissembled the building. It's a bunch of bricks. What do you want me to do? <laughs> and, and that's the idea that I think it's less about, you know, wow, what security tools do I buy? And I'm going to get hacked and get a PR plan together and let's make sure we can respond because it's going to happen. And I think it's more about finding clever ways to reduce the consequence of a problem, being more elusive, using some deception, using some uncertainty in the way you operate. These are, these are techniques that work. And I think the cybersecurity industry is ripe for some creative thinking. Going back to your metaphor of moving the jewelry around, which I like. So there's one element of defense, which is scattering. So what about encryption at rest? Uh, how does, what, what, there are other techniques that people can be doing uh, in addition to, there's not just a thing to do, right? There's, a, there's probably a laundry list of things that need to be focused on, whether it's encryption or even protecting people's rights with differential privacy and the like. What's your sense of the range that uh, a mid-sized startup companies should be thinking about as to what they can do or what they're going to get out of one of these cloud providers? Well, the encryption is one of a set of controls. I, in my... Um analysis report, which your listeners can go to at tag-cyber.com, if I may just oh, sure. shameless plug in here for my website. But at any rate, it's all free. And um, at tag-cyber, I break the industry down into 50 controls that need to be attended to. And, and sadly, there is no shortcut around them. Like you mentioned encryption. But if I said to you, well, gosh, how do you feel about authentication? You'd say, oh, that is pretty important too. And I'd say, well, how do you feel about analytics? You built an entire fund around that. You know, oh, yeah, 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 I guess we have to do that. And I said, what about firewalls? That's pretty basic. Oh, that is, seems like the most basic. And you go on and on and on through 50 different areas. And before you know it, you say, wow, this is actually pretty complicated. <laughs> a lot that has to be done here, which is why your earlier question about whether Amazon, Microsoft, IBM, others are better suited than a smaller company, I, I think that the answer to that is true because there's so much to be done. So in terms of just on saying the enterprise for a second, there's a, there's a common wisdom, which you might tell me it's not even common and it may not be wise, but is that 10% of an IT budget is spent on security. What, what's your view of that today now? Well, there's no, it, it makes no sense to, to have sort of a moniker or a, a, a number or figure of merit like 5%, 2%, 3%. It all comes down to culture. So mm -hmm. for example, there are companies that have massive help desks because their workforce needs a lot of help. You know, PC, phone, applications, websites. You know, you can imagine um, a company that perhaps has, has folks that maybe didn't grow up natively with technology. Like think of an insurance company where you've got a lot of people who can just dazzle you with their experience and expertise in insurance but may not know their way around a Mac very well. So they need a big group. Well, 
call Apple sometime and ask them how big their help desk is for the entire company. Do you know what the number is? I think it's four people. Amazing. Yeah. So it's something like that. So you get the idea that culture dictates. So this to, to say some X percent of your budget should be on security ignores the fact that some cultures really do demand um, greater attention. And, and furthermore, that some products or services or corporate assets have greater consequence. I think you and I would hope that a company managing safety for nuclear power plants would invest a little bit higher percentage of their budget than, say, some company that, I don't know, um, uh, provides, um, you know, children's toys or something, you know, or, or, or manufactures uh, blocks that kids build with. I mean, the, the, those are just two completely different domains. And to apply a common designator to the two in terms of security investment m makes no sense. So it re really does depend. And as I think beyond even the IT shop, and, and as we think more about our kind of the principle around security first, there's been so many, so many writings in the paper lately on ransomware attacks that are all coming from phishing and spear phishing attacks. That's not IT. That's telling, training people. It's, it's getting their, you know, getting the people to know what's going on or to hire the right employees that are not going to do a, a dual draft kings, dual, whatever the fan duel, draft kings, steal the data. So there's an element of people. There's an element of people behavior that has really never been thought about before. And it seems like that's getting a, a, a lot more attention now. It, 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 ha it is getting more attention. I think it should. I, I have two opinions about that and they're going to sound like, they're completely diametrically opposed. So I guess it, um, I, I, I beg the, the uh, ability here to say, um, you know, night and day in the same sentence. But let me start by saying that you're correct that people do need to be educated. Awareness training needs to improve. And I think the message there is take that function and get it as far away from the wonky IT teams that address those capitalized memos addressed to all staff, you know, telling them that you must not do the following. I delete those, you delete those. Even the nice people who set up the tables outside the cafeteria with the think before you click buttons or pencils, you run the other way, so do I. That, you got to get rid of that. You should hand the awareness training over to the most creative, geeky, funny, theater major kids that, you know, can make real content, understand uh, social, understand video, understand humor, understand viral, can really make compelling content that people will enjoy. So I think that that needs to be done. Now that said, um, as an engineer, I know that it is absolutely immature to even expect ever that you're going to get 100% of people following some set of awareness or training rules like the two greatest training programs in the history of humankind are don't smoke and wear a seatbelt. and according to the american cancer society and the national safety institute you get about eh, 75 80 percent of people listen to that so if you can't get people not to smoke you're going to get them to follow your awareness stuff so you have to as a designer recognize Yes, it makes sense. Fewer people clicking on Trojan.death files that come in email, better. So please do not click on that. However, in your design, you have to assume that. Assume. Of and course. So makes sense. Perfect. To, That's great. So, so it's almost like 
if you didn't do awareness or did, it shouldn't change your design. So, so that's why I say they're diametrically opposed because I'm saying do it. But right. I'm also saying in your design work, assume you're not doing it. Exactly. Exactly. So has the role then of a, of a chief security officer evolved? And the story I think about is that, you know, the target breach, maybe one of the, you know, maybe not as bad as Yahoo, but it still sticks in my mind because it was the maintenance guy logging on. It was the heating ventilation contractor that did it. How, how, hard, how hard did your head hurt when you were a CSO? Well, it's um, gone through three phases. Um, chief security officer job. For those of you, th those listening who may not be familiar, chief security officer or chief information security officer is the top cybersecurity position in an organization. It's usually someone with some seniority. In my case, I was one of a hundred and something people on AT&T who were the officers running the corporation. So AT&T treated it as a, as a really important function, as do most critical infrastructure companies. But at any rate, the, the position started in the maybe the 90s, and it was a wonky tech position. So you knew how a firewall worked. You knew what encryption was. You probably had a computer science or electrical engineering or math degree. My PhD is in computer science. So it's, it was that kind of thing initially. And then we realized that the hackers we were dealing with were kind of dopey. It wasn't really all that consequential but that there was a tidiness that was missing. So the pendulum swung from geeky to accounting, compliance, controls, frameworks, like having a clean program that's policy-based, that has tidy documentation, and that demonstrates that you have control of your controls. And the problem is that you can have hacks in that kind of environment. That's not... Paperwork doesn't stop hackers. They'll get around that. So the pendulum is now swinging back, maybe, I hope, reaching equilibrium between the two extremes, where you do have to be a little tacky and wonky and architectural and understand how to stop real attacks as they're occurring. We're at war right now in cyber, but you also have to have that compliance capability. So it really does combine the skills of an accountant with the skills of a hacker into a unique discipline that didn't even exist 20 years ago. It's funny, I'm, I'm 55, and about 25 years ago, the position I've devoted my life to didn't even exist. It's kind of an interesting <laughs> thought that, you know, you don't have to be two years old to be told that the thing you'll do for a living may not exist today. I was about 30, you know, and, and that position hadn't even existed. I helped to invent it. But the point, I think, should be well taken, that it is still a, a, a new and evolving discipline. So let's just go, let's kind of wrap a little bit, just a bit about TAG Cyber. Uh, you know, what, what do you, what a, I love that you called yourself the Ungartner. Just tell me a little bit more what you think companies are <laughs> looking for as they pick up these reports. Uh, what should CEOs, sure. particularly of our audience, the smaller companies, be thinking about in terms of security first? Uh, what kind of advice would you have for them? I think that one of the gravest responsibilities for a security person in an enterprise or government or wherever, where you're doing playing defense, is selecting your vendor partners. It is an exercise that has to be treated with the same level of commitment as selecting a spouse, because bad choices in either case will lead to disastrous consequence, right? So, so the idea that in our industry, analysis is done 
using shorthands like quadrants and waves to me is a poor shortcut for doing the work that needs to be done. Like, would it, would you ever select a spouse that way? Hey, listen, here's what's on the plate. Um, and you might want to look up in the top right corner because that's somebody who's educated, well-spoken, attractive, you know, probably a good match for you. You know, don't look down in the bottom left because that, you know, that's probably, that's quirky and different. And, and you might just find that the person in the bottom left is the love of your life. So, so the, the point is, that I think it encourages laziness when analysts try to encapsulate things into these trite little aphorisms. So what I've done is I've devoted my life now to trying to help educate security people on a number of different things. First off, that that grave seriousness of selecting vendors can be made simpler by at least breaking things into some categories, and I broke them into 50. And they're based on my day-to-day -day work experience and the work I still do with a lot of consulting clients and the CISOs that I coach. And I have a deep understanding of what it takes to play defense. So I broke them up into 50 areas that I alluded to earlier. And then in those 50 areas, you need to take the time to learn them. Like it's, it's just, I, I hear so much. I don't have the time. We just don't have the inclination. You know, I just need to look at the quadrant and pick the top two or three companies. And that way, if they turn out to be just terrible, I can somehow blame Gartner for that. I mean, it's such a low opinion of yourself. I think people should be able to educate and learn. So what I do is I provide massive amounts of information, just a barrage on, barrage on a daily basis of long and short form information about the entire industry with my opinions about what's right and wrong. My, my worldview is not that there are political issues, but rather there are technical issues that are going to work and there are ones that are not. And I am not shy to be clear about what I approve of and what I don't approve of. So when people start to tune into my channel and read my stuff and connect with my community, the message they're going to hear is that this is hard work doing defensive cybersecurity. You have to commit your life to it. You have to commit yourself to a lifetime of learning you have to constantly be pulling information. And then when you make those selections and build your defense and build your architecture, that should be your masterpiece. And that's what I help people do with Tag Cyber. I can't think of a better way to end it. Ed Amoroso, thank you so much for your time. That was a fantastic and fascinating discussion. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. I don't think it could be clearer. The risks to companies and those in the C-suite are great. You simply cannot make cybersecurity an afterthought. You've got to plan and be prepared for the inevitable breach that could very well come your way and yet always keep moving forward. We think that by becoming a security first company, and if you want to learn more about what that means, just visit our website. But you become a company that people will want to do business with in a world where security is a differentiator. Remember, your data is your currency. It's incredibly valuable and you've got to be sure to protect it. For the Impact Podcast, I'm John Pryor.